0: Discover community, find hope, and experience God. This is Discovering Hope. Uh, welcome to church. It's an honor for me to be here. Uh, I recognize that contextually many of you don't know me, and so it can be difficult because you might think, well, what, is, what does this guy know? And I, I actually don't know a lot. That's not false humility. I don't actually know a lot, but what I do know, I know very well. And I know the gospel message that saved my soul. And so when Pastor Pat called me Thursday night, he asked, hey, Paul is not is not it's not looking well. He might have to have surgery. Can you go? And I thought, well, what's you know what's the topic? Is it uh, premillennialism? Is it uh, you know human sexuality? And he says, no, it's the gospel message. I said, I can go. I'm ready for that. So uh, thanks for having me. I am a Grand Forks kid, natively, and so I grew up here. So some of you some of you might remember me. Any of it, Red River High School year of 2000, uh, I was in your class. I know I. I aged well uh and so i am here presenting the word we moved back maybe eight months ago i've been in uh, pastoral ministry for 18 years and i gave it up uh to come and lead northland and i just got to tell you pat pat won't like this but he doesn't have the microphone Uh, sundays like this are just brutal for staff teams Uh, And so you wouldn't even know it sitting here on a Sunday morning how well the team comes together, but they were scrambling to put things together. So Pastor Pat, wherever you are, well done good and faithful servant. But that's enough introduction. Let's get into the word of God. We're in John chapter four this morning. And the reason why we're in John chapter four is because when, when Pat called me Thursday night, he said, we're in the middle, or we're gonna start, not in the middle, we're gonna start, I guess I get to be the icebreaker of, of a little sermon series, a tiny little uh, couple weeks, I think, is all because Easter's coming, but called Invest, Invest and Invite. And so the kind of the the theme of this couple weeks will be, um, it's it's our call to invest in others around us, but then invite them into the gospel message. And so that was really cool to hear Brad talking about how organically you have children investing and inviting, and this is why Jesus says you can't come into salvation without the faith of a child because they just get it, don't they? They just get it. And as we get older, and I won't define older, for you, um, but as you get older, it com- becomes harder to invest and invite, and that's a shame. That's a shame. It shouldn't be that way. And so God invested in you; He invited you into salvation, and now He's calling you to invest in others and invite them into the gospel message. And there's no easier way in in North Dakota to invite someone to the gospel message than to invite them to an Easter service. Because there's most people here already have some connection with church. And so that's not a weird invite. But you get the opportunity to, to look at somebody around you, invest in them, and invite them. And so a really good text to look at that, look at that is John chapter 4. And I want to talk really quickly, before John chapter 4, this word that we call evangelism. Now when I talk about evangelism, uh, that probably, in some of you, elicits a little bit of unease, right? Because if you grew up in a church, you were probably guilted and shamed a little bit that you need to be evangelizing, and, and the truth is we do. We're all called to evangelize, just like we're all called to serve, we're all called to give, we're all called to teach, we're all called to lead. In some capacity, um, we're all called to evangelize, and, and most of us are not good at it. Uh, I'm not good at it. People see my personality. Um, uh, we were at a we were at a very large, growing church last, and people just assumed I was the evangelist, and I'm not. I don't. I don't by my nature want to invite any of you anywhere. It's just who I am, and so people think, "Oh, he's so pleasant and funny." Like like on this stage. And then off this stage, I'm like, get me on a bicycle, and I don't want to look at anybody. And, and so it's really uncomfortable for me to be an evangelist. I don't want to invest in others unless they're just like me, right? We like investing in people who are like us, but most people aren't like us, praise the Lord, Most people are different. And so it's hard to invest in them and it's hard to invite them. And so evangelism is one of of these things that we just don't like to talk about and we don't like to do. And, And worst yet, you know someone who's good at it right that's that's the you know that person who who gets on a bus and, and 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 someone says to him hey is that seat taken and the guy says no but are, uh, but i are, is that seat saved no but i'm saved and then he leads that guy to the lord and then there's a revival on the bus and then the next sunday pastor paul brings him up to share with you how great he is and how bad you guys all are at evangelism and so we don't want to do it i don't want to do it i don't want to be rejected I don't want somebody to tell me, uh, you Bible-thumping weirdo. No, I don't want any of that. And so we, we shriek back. And let me just enlighten you to, to the Greek word, evangelize. It's a, euangelizo. It's two Greek words, eu, which means good. That's made it into our English lexicon, by the way. Eulogy, eu, good word, right? You want someone to say a good word at your funeral, I would hope. A eureka, that's a good idea. And it's the same in Greek. It's EU is good. An angel. What's an angel? A messenger. You are a messenger of what? The good news. You're not the creator of it. You're not the the keeper of it. You're not even the full knower of it. You know, you'd be surprised how many emails I got as a pastor with deep theological questions. And you know what I did? Google You don't have to know everything. Just Google it and act like you know what you're talking about. This isn't about you knowing everything. It's about you bringing the good news to others. Maybe a better way to say that is it's one beggar telling the other beggar where to find the food. And you can do that. So John chapter four. uh, Jesus has just started his ministry, okay? He... uh, Excuse me. He just started his ministry, he built his team, he, he's, he's sharing his faith with uh, Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, and then something happens. The Pharisees realize that Jesus' disciples are baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, and when, when, when a guy out-baptizes someone else with the last name Baptist, you know something big is happening. And so the Pharisees start getting kind of squirrely about Jesus, and he knows his ministry is too early for him to die yet. And so he leaves. He takes his disciples, and he goes from Judea to Galilee. And on that journey, they have to cross through this terrible place called Samaria, where the Samaritans live. And that's the account we have here in John chapter four. And so we're gonna read quite a bit of text, much, much more than I typically would read. Um, I typically would just do a couple verses at a time, but you don't wanna be here all day. And so we're gonna, we're gonna do a little bit of big reading, jump a little big reading. So if you need to go back and read this whole thing, I really encourage that. John chapter four, verse six, we get introduced to Jesus. And it says this, Proof that he is fully man at this part, right? Fully God, fully man. It's a divine union that we can't fully comprehend, but he's tired. He's been walking. And so he sits down at a well. Now, we're not in, in a dry area per se, so water doesn't seem to be such a big deal, but in a desert, a desert place, water's huge. And so sitting down by a well really matters because you need a drink of water. And he sits down and there's this woman there, a Samaritan woman, and he says to her, can I share a drink of water with you? And she's shocked, absolutely shocked. Why is, why is she shocked? Well, I think there's a few reasons why she's shocked. First of all, she's a woman. Now, history hasn't been kind to women. Uh, cultures have not been kind to women. And first century was not a great time to be a woman. And men had no dealings with women at this time. I mean, quite literally, they wouldn't talk to other women in public. They were lesser second-class citizens in fact there was one group of pharisees called the bruised and bleeding pharisees who got that name because whenever they saw a woman they would look down at their feet and walk they wouldn't even make eye contact with it, with that woman and they'd walk into things and so they became known as the bruised and i mean they took not talking to women so serious they'd walk into things to avoid them so Jesus sits down with this woman. By the way, Matthew 23 makes an allusion to that when he talks about the, he talks about the Pharisees. Uh, but anyways, he, Jesus talks with this woman. First of all, she's a woman. Second of all, she's not a woman of good moral character. Now, now we find out later that Jesus knows this, but, but speculation is this. She's at the well outside the city because she's not welcome at the well inside the city, Okay that's the speculation. It's not in the text, but you can, you, can, you can infer that from the text. And then third of all, and probably the biggest thing, is she's a Samaritan. And we know how Jews feel about the Samaritans. Why, why do Jews hate the Samaritans? Well, it goes back 700 years from this point. Uh, the, the, the Syrians took all the Jews into captivity except for a few, and those few stayed behind and intermarried. And then they only followed the first five books of the law. And so they became Samaritans, keeper of the half-truth. And, and, and they were traitors. Instead of remaining pure, they, they, they inculcated in the, in the culture around them and they became one like, like everybody else. And so the Jews hated Samaritans. They would go out of their way to avoid Samaritans. And so Jesus sits down with this woman of ill repute who's a Samaritan, and he says, share a glass of water. That's an interesting work there. She's, word there. She says, you have no dealings with Samaritans. The word there, dealing, senkratai, means, means you don't share vessels. That's a cool word, right? You don't, uh, when I was a kid... I grew up with a very Norwegian father who was very cheap. You know, they like kind of go hand in hand. And so when we would have the, the blessing of going out to eat, you know, you didn't go out to eat to someplace expensive. You went to McDonald's and there was four children and we would get one small soda. And, and then we would all what? Share that. So that's just gross now to think about it. But you just, you grew up with it. This is what the word she's using you're going to share a... V- this is intimate, church. This isn't him just sitting and talking to her, waiting for his bus. This is him sharing a drink of water from her vessel. And she's shocked. The narrative continues. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and then he would have given you living water. So Jesus says, I know you're shocked, I know you're surprised but if you knew who you were talking to you wouldn't even be surprised that i was asking for water you would be asking me for living water the narrative goes on and she's amazed she's thinking i could have water that i never had to go get again and this is a big deal several hours of her day were spent getting water for her family, for herself, for her livestock. And she's like, I could have water on demand. Now you go home and you'll turn your, your faucet and you won't even be amazed. But you know that's new, right? That, that's not something historically that's been along that, around that long. And so, so she hears, I can have living water? And he goes, kind of. I'm not talking about water that you pull out of the ground and drink. I'm talking about water that quenches every thirst he he invests in her did you catch this he sits down and he has a relationship with her well the narrative continues verse 15 the woman said to him sir give me this water that i might might not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water and jesus said to her oh this gets good go call your husband to come here and the woman answered him i don't have a husband jesus said to her you're right and saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet our Fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship, and Jesus said, to her woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father you worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jew, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit." and in truth. If you could ask Jesus any question, what would it be? She catches on to something. She's sitting here with somebody who's special. This guy knows about who she is. He knows that she's made, let's be diplomatic, some terrible life choices. She has made a few, can I get an amen? Have you made a few bad choices in your life, right? Some of you came to church with that bad choice, right? Amen, God's restoring it. He's redeeming it. He's making good from it. We've all made bad decisions. Aren't you glad that God doesn't say, you better deal with that bad decision before I deal with you? he meets you where you're at praise the lord he met me where i was at he sits down he goes yeah you're right you've made some poor decisions but i want you anyways and let me tell you about this living water and she realizes she's talking to she knows it's the messiah by the way we're going to see that in a second well she doesn't know it she thinks it and he confirms it it's the first time he confirms it by the way She she says, I think I'm with something special. I'm I'm with someone special here. And so she goes, I've got one question to ask. And did you did you hear what her question was? How am I supposed to worship? the reason she asked that was because samaritans only had the first five books of the old testament and that they believed that the mountain of worship was a different spot but then zerubbabel comes along and moves it to jerusalem and so jews and samaritans argue about where they're supposed to worship and so she says where am i supposed to worship i just i want to get closer to you god i don't know what that looks like i don't know how that looks i've got one question to ask and the question i'm going to ask is how do i make sure i'm doing this right i can identify with that and, she said, and he says to her, well, I'm going to tell you this now. A time is coming and is now here when it doesn't matter where you worship. You can worship You can worship in a shopping mall. I looked at a boat here 20 years ago in this very room, and God has redeemed it and put a house of worship here. He says, I don't care where you worship. I care how you worship. And here's how you worship. You worship it in spirit and you worship it in truth. The narrative continues. Then the disciples came back, verse 25, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her jar, and she went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is our first missionary this woman is our first missionary she comes into a saving knowledge of who christ is and she goes back to her village and she says i think i might have met the christ you should come see him with me christ invested in her he invited her and then he called her to what go and invest and invite this is our call he didn't pick you because he thought you were the greatest. He didn't pick you because he liked you the most. He picked you because of who he is. And so when you feel insecure about being an evangelist, that's good news because it's not your message. You're not telling about who you are, you're telling about who he is. And the fact that God could use you and God could use me and God would use you and God would use me is just mind blowing because if I were to pick a spiritual kickball team, I wouldn't be picked. First, I wouldn't be picked last. I wouldn't be picked. There's a lot of people I would pick first, and Jesus says, no, I like you just the way you are. Come on in, son, I'll teach you how to do this. And he's done that for you. And this is the gospel message, the message of the good news. One beggar telling another beggar where the food is, but there's a problem to this church. There's a problem. And Jesus tells us about that problem in Matthew. In Matthew chapter nine, you don't need to turn there because we're gonna come back to John chapter four. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus says this very quickly in verse 35. Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly of the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus shows up and he sees these sheep. You know, if I could pick any animal to be named after, it wouldn't be a sheep, but like a lion, an eagle, a bear. And, and Jesus calls us sheep because there's some characteristics about sheep. We're dumb, we're stubborn, and we're helpless. And that's a really good picture of people, isn't it? We're, we're not that bright, we're, we're not really able to care for ourselves well. And we're, we're pretty stubborn. And all sheep need a shepherd. And so, so Jesus sees these sheep, and they're being taken advantage of, and they're wandering, and they're aimless, and they're helpless, and he's moved with compassion. Splanknos is the Greek word there. It means um, moved in his bowels. It, he's got a stomachache. And that's the right word, right? We like to talk about our heart I love you with all my heart, but, but you really feel it in your stomach, don't you? He's moved in his stomach because he, he sees these sheep and they're not being cared for. And he kind of has this moment where he rubs his forehead and he goes, you know, it's really not a harvest issue. It's a worker issue. Don't, don't pray for the harvest, Hope. There's enough harvest to go around. Pray for the workers because that's what's in short supply. We need more more women uh, of the at the well type people, don't we? Uh, we do, we don't need more harvest to go out and get. We need more harvesters to go out and get. When when we bought our house in Rugby, we lived in Rugby, North Dakota for oh f- five years or so. And when we bought the house, it had this huge raspberry patch. Uh, and raspberries, I don't know if you've never had them. They're basically a weed. Uh, they just keep growing and they're a wonderful weed that produce wonderful things but they just take over your yard and and we'd never had raspberries before but but my wife was just bound and determined and i'm married to a go-getter a type a if any of you are like that you know we'll we'll pray for you but she's that one who go i'm gonna get every raspberry and she has summers off and so she just made it her task like I'm going to get every raspberry. And, and I was like, I think we should let people come pick raspberries, Trista. I don't think we're ever going to pick all these raspberries. And she's like, no, I'm going to make jam and I'm going to make juice and I'm going to make I mean, we're just raspberries. That first year we lived there, our, our youngest son, Judah, ate so many raspberries, he wouldn't eat a raspberry again. I'm not joking. He still won't eat raspberries. He's 12. Um, he had so many ra- She punished him with raspberries. And, and and she would, you know, we'd have neighbors and I'd be like, we should let the neighbors come pick. No, we're going to get every raspberry. And at some point she had this Tiffany. I can't pick all these raspberries. Right? And then you're like begging people, come pick the raspberries because you can't let them go bad, right? And if they go bad, they fall on the ground and they grow more raspberry plants. And next year we have more raspberries. And this is really a metaphor for, for the world around us. Church, we're not running out of raspberries to pick. You you can you can pick raspberries till you don't want to pick raspberries ever again and there's more raspberries. The issue is we need pickers. We need harvesters. And what's your motivation? Because you get a million heaven points for doing it? You get a better house in, in, in heaven. You, you get a better vacation plot in heaven. Is that our motivation for doing anything? Of course not. We don't do it because of what we get. We do it because of what we got. We've been given the gospel message. It was invested and invited into us, and now we invest and we invite, and there's no guilt and shame in this. God has called you and He's uniquely gifted you. And get this, He's given you relationships that I don't have and I don't want with your neighbors and with your friends for you to invest and invite in. And you get to bring the good news. Go back to John chapter 4 really quick. And, and you're going to skip all the way down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that is indeed the Savior of the world. You get what happens? She is so drastically different. She goes and she tells her friends, she tells her neighbors, quite possibly she told five of her former husbands, and they notice that she's different. Something's different about her. Instantly, she's different than she was, and they go, I don't know what this guy's selling, but I'm going to go listen to his pitch because she is a different person. She can get water from our well now. She's different. And so the whole town comes out and a revival breaks out. All because God invested and invited and then she was faithful to invest and invite. We had this guy in our church years ago. Well, he didn't start out in our church. His wife came to church every Sunday. So if you're a spouse right now, um, you, you might know this. Maybe you're the only one faithful to the word in your house. And this, this wife was so diligent in prayer. She came to salvation later in life, and so she was trying to bring him in, and she would tell him about faith, and she would invest in him, and she would invite him, and years went by, he wouldn't step into the church. And I don't know why, but one Sunday, he came to church. He came into a saving faith, and his life was drastically changed. It was fantastic. The story doesn't end there, though. He, he, ends up, he ends up getting baptized. I got to baptize him. He was you know, 60-some years old. That was fantastic. His, his adult children and grandchildren came and watched. And this guy, his heart was just being changed left and right. And then one Sunday, there's this other guy who comes to church. And so, so the, my friend Steve, the guy we, that, that came into Saving faces, says, I want you to go meet my friend. And so I go back to meet this guy, it's at the end of service, and, and 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 this guy says, Reverend, that's how you know he doesn't speak evangelical, right? Reverend, that was the best bleeping message I've ever heard. <laughs> that's where he was at. You know, that's, whoa, you know, like... Uh, Get hit with lightning bolts if you say stuff like that. And that was where he was at. Well, it kind of took me by surprise. Oh, oh, you know, you don't even kind of have a filter for. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you liked it. You know, what brought you here today? And he says, Well, I got to thinking. If you guys would allow a guy like my friend Steve to come to church here, you would probably allow a guy like me to come to church here. All of you are guys and gals like Steve. You all had a past. You all have a future. But the the narrative that stays the same for all of us and uniquely binds us and uniquely ties us is the gospel message of grace that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He invested in you and he invited you into the saving message of faith. And now he calls you to invest and invite. And what a better opportunity. So think now. Active engagement, church. Let's have an application, a take-home who? Who is God calling you to invest in? Who's he calling you to invite? Who is he calling you to share a glass of water with? Is it someone at the, at, at the exercise place you go to? Is it someplace at the senex that you stop at every morning? Is it a neighbor? Is it a brother? Is it a sister? Is it a friend? Who is God calling you to invest with and invite in? I'll finish with this story. Years ago, I'm getting, I'm getting old, the years are starting to pass. Years ago, um, I, my, my Army Reserves unit was being mobilized to go to the Iraq War. And, and it was a mission that never happened, but, but they got us all spun up to go. And one of the things they had us do was to go and do three weeks of desert survival, which, by the way, three weeks of desert survival is, is just like it sounds. Three weeks where you just try not to die. That's the mission. Just, just don't die. And what it ends up being is three weeks of trying to figure out where you can get water in a place that's waterless. And so, so uh, I went there, and for three weeks, I spent, it was freezing cold at night, roasting hot in the day, there was no shade tree, there was no water, and the one message that I, I remember from that training, and I think it will resonate with you, the one message that our instructor taught us is there's one sin in the desert. Do you know what the sin in the desert is? Not telling others where the water is you found the water. Now, you might be a visitor and you might be like, wow, this guy's really weird. And don't worry, I'm, I won't be back anytime soon. <laughs> but the guy who's here most Sundays is even weirder. So uh, just so you know, just so you know, some of you haven't found the water yet. I don't, I, I'm just going to be blunt because I won't be back and you don't have my email. What are you waiting for? What in the world? Honestly, why wouldn't you want to be a part of life-giving, living water? Okay, that's a you issue. But for the rest of us, the rest of us who have come into saving faith somewhere, and some of you, some of you need to get back to the well. Okay, but for most of us, you have been given streams of living water, and here's the sin: not telling others where you found it God invested in you he invited you now invest and invite just one beggar telling the other beggar where the food is amen Heavenly Father you're so gracious and good that you would use someone like me to teach your word and so thank you that you you found me where I was and you said "I, I can work with that And for everyone here, Lord, that you love and died for, we thank you. And so now we ask a special dispensation on this congregation, Lord, a special blessing that you would infuse them with courage, that you would infuse them with divine appointments, that you would give them every opportunity to say, I got a chair next to me at the Alaris Center Sunday morning and I'd love to have you with me. And by the way, we'll go have lunch together afterwards. Thank you for dying for my sins. I'll be faithful to invest and to invite, even when I don't want to and even when I fail. Bless us, Lord, as we go into a time of remembrance of you, as we take the Holy Communion, and thank you for dying for our sins. It's in Christ's perfect and holy name that all God's people pray this. Amen.